The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and Pootie in the studio today. We are proud members of the Rebel Alliance Media. I guess it's weird for us to say that, considering we were, have always been a part of the Rebel Alliance Media. But no, I like it. We are the Rebel Podcast in that, yep. along with the Awakening Reformation, Grant and Eric Van Brimmer, who are wicked. They're, I guess, w- they're kid- wicked in the good way, like wicked, like like wicked, like wicked, sick. awesome, wicked, I, sick, can, not yeah. wicked. <laughs> Ungodly. I, exactly. I should point. I should point out. I, I work with a lot of people who are like, you know, twenty three. Turtles. 20, apparently. Twenty three. Twenty four. No, they say things like lit and oh, fam yeah. all the time. Mm. And What's so fam. I, fam is like fam. Like you and me are fam. We're fa- like Dave's our fam. We're all we're oh. all really tight. And lit apparently, which is not what I thought because I thought lit meant like I was tipsy. Um, lit apparently means it was just really good. So there's that, there which is go. pretty good. Anyway, um, as the guy who works with a bunch of millennials, what millennials? What does uh, on fleek mean? I haven't figured that one out yet. Okay. I think it, I think it means similar to like on point, but better. So like yeah, on point. So on would, point is like, like your hair today is on point. It's looking but good, but not on fleek. Not no, because it's, it's not like it's yet. not like it's if not. I just got a haircut, maybe. Then it would be on fleek. I okay. think. I think if, that's what if that we means. need correction on that, listeners, uh, put it in the comment section. I feel like Grant and Erica would know this. They seem pretty like I, with it. I'm hit. I'm going to be impressed if any of our listeners are still listening at that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, so yeah, we are the Rebels, and you can find uh, more about us at rebelalliancemedia.com. Uh, you can find the blog posts there. You can find the other podcasts there. We would just encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasting podcast from whatever app google play uh you know uh any of those kinds of uh, itunes subscribe to the rebel alliance media you'll get all the podcasts there and uh and definitely check us check us out on the website for the blogs and such shameless plug for the blogs the blogs have been like mind-bogglingly on point on on fleek even (laughs) (laughs) they've been so good yeah so good yeah they have been i agree yeah we uh to the point that i'm like i don't even know if i ever want to even contribute because they're just so good yeah those people are just they're killing it they're killing killing it it. let it let it go so yeah you should be definitely reading those blogs and that's awesome okay so we want to transition into some rebel news and uh i uh so i i have an interesting one okay so we all know, uh, we've talked a lot about the kind of, uh, I guess, political uh, division that exists in North America right now, both in, in America and in Canada. 
which seems to be widening. Which I seems think. to be widening like, for sure. I actually, I have an idea for a, a future episode that uh, I, I'd like us to talk about kind of the culture gap there. Oh, nice. Um, and we'll talk about that at some point. But so here's a piece of Rebel News. So in, there was supposed to be this, um, this rally in Ottawa this past weekend. Um, by a Calgary-based worldwide coalition against Islam. It's called the WCAI. So, it, and, and, and it's a pretty, I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of uh, racially motivated stuff in there, obviously. Um, I, you know, there, I think there is some, some people who are just starting out with some objections to Islam in general, um, the, the violent nature of the religion, mm. the oppression of women and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it's definitely become kind of a flagship for a lot of people who just have racist um, animosity towards Middle Eastern uh, people and Muslims in general. Um, so anyway, this 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 group, which we do not advocate for, they're they're doing a lot of horrible things. But they were supposed to have a rally in Toronto, and then um, a an anti hate coalition um, decided that they were going to show up to do an anti protest. And and so for those of you in America, you know how there's the the kind of alt right, and then there's the Antifa, and they're both basically fascists on either side. <laughs> they're both uh, they're both uh, two sides of the same coin. We have that in Canada, and uh, and it's very similar. They just don't have fancy names. And so this uh, this uh, worldwide coalition against Islam and this anti hate uh, coalition were were set to square off <laughs> in Toronto. But what happened was that particular day was supposed to be like crazy humid crazy hot it's supposed to be like 30 degrees 40 with the humid x that's like 110 for you americans yeah there you go um so the worldwide coalition against islam pulled out and they, they canceled their rally well the anti-protesters wanted to show up anyway and and so the the wcai they pulled out saying okay the the anti-protesters are going to show up it's going to be hot it's going to be hot um, our, our, there's already, we're going to be hot and bothered already. So this is like a recipe for disaster. So let's just not go. Well, a lot of the fascist left lefties showed up ready to do an anti-protest and the people they were protesting didn't show up. So they were agitated about that. And, uh, and so there was uh, a couple of protesters with their, you know, their bandanas over their faces and their dark sunglasses who actually started getting violent. Not only did they start uh, kind of um, vandalizing and littering, but uh, they end up uh, accosting a, a media outlet cameraman. So he got hit in the face and his hat got torn off. And I think some of his hair got torn out in the process of, of his hat getting ripped off. So anyway, there's this opinion piece for CBC, which is actually fairly liberal um, news outlet here in Canada. But I thought this was really interesting. So he he makes an observation. So this was a left protester who was there to protest against the um, the right, I guess, the alt right. And uh, and he assaulted a cameraman. So this is an opinion piece from a guy in the CBC um, uh, newsroom. He says, forgive me for employing a lazy rhetorical technique here, but perhaps uh, but it's still perhaps the best way to emphasize the point. If that protester were an alt right fanatic and the journalist worked for a more centrist news organization, this column written days after the incident would be old news. It would have gone viral. In that scenario, there would have likely already been coverage across digital print and broadcast news with pundits debating whether the anti-media rhetoric oozing from the U.S. President Donald Trump is partly to blame. The perpetrator would be um, reprimanded on social media. He would have been assaulted by the social media lynch mobs. Most of us would have learned the journalist's name and the altercation would have spun, spun handfuls of little think pieces which would have spun littler think pieces of their own. But that process didn't or hasn't yet happened. 
happened here. And though I'd like to think uh, of a more charitable explanation, the fact that the targeted journalist works for an unabashedly conservative Toronto Sun and his alleged attacker was ostensibly from the other end of the political spectrum, probably something has probably has something to do with it. So this columnist is essentially saying that he thinks that there's an unfair bias in terms of uh, even just how news is being covered. And so I just say this to say, this is the reason this is rebel news is not because we are alt-right and certainly not because we're alt-left. Um, and, and though we uh, talk politically a lot and, the, the, and ob- obviously a lot of times um, uh, political conservatism is, is I think, uh, a more biblical approach to politics, but we have to remember that Jesus isn't right or left here. Hmm. Jesus didn't believe that the culture could be transformed by right or left political ideologies. Jesus taught and preached that cultural transformation would happen one converted sinner at a time. And so I just say that to say we as Christians can't get caught up in this left versus right mentality. And I think that, I think that this, this reporter actually rightly points out a bias But what I want to do is I want to turn that back in and talk about the bias that's in each and every one of our hearts. And that is we have a tendency to be tribal here and demonize everything on the left and justify everything on the right. What we have to remember is that it's not the ideology of the right or the left that's going to save culture. Jesus and his gospel and his his atoning work on the cross is what's going to save culture and it's going to get saved one person at a time. Yeah, I Every time somebody we start thinking about like left and right, I start thinking about the idea. Uh, it's in Toby Sumter's book, Bloodbought World, where he just I think it's even on the like the tagline of the book is Jesus's blood paid for this world. You just have to we just have to deal with it. Right. And so I, I think about that whenever I start thinking about this tribal mentality of us versus them or right versus left or or whatever the scenario is where two groups of people are against it as Christians we're on Jesus' team. So right. we're not politically right. We're not politically left. We're on King Jesus' team. We're a kingship and we follow him. Right. And so I love I loved the way you pointed out that neither of these doctrines, because that's what they are, yeah, will absolutely. conquer the world. Jesus' blood has already conquered the world, has already paid for the world. And it's about it's left to the Christians to you know obey and proclaim the gospel that will help change the hearts one not because of any work of us but one person at a time i think i think that's really we need to grasp that as christians and once we start stop thinking as politically even though i think thinking politically is a good thing but stop thinking of it like that are if we get the right prime minister if we get the right president if we get the right mp that's actually going to change culture right there are things that will change if we get christian people yeah. in power and for better way. or for worse exactly yeah. and i'm yeah. all and i'm all for that what i mean though is we have to recognize that the power in this world is the holy spirit working through believers to change hearts of, of the people yeah and and as sad as it is there is a reality that there are a lot of Christians who vote conservative and think they've done their Christian evangelical duty. <laughs> and, and that's, that's horrible. Absolutely. That's horrible. Yeah. Well, there, there are people who believe Donald Trump is, is God's chosen. He's the Cyrus of our day. Yeah, yeah. He's the, and, and God uses mm. people. 
God used Cyrus. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. But, but yeah, he's not a Messiah. Exactly. And he's also not the Antichrist. <laughs> he's neither. <laughs> right? like, he's he is neither. neither. He is a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. And ultimately, uh, uh, whether it's America that goes on or the world that goes on, the world still belongs to Jesus. And he's still in the process of putting every enemy under his feet in victory. And that includes Donald Trump. Exactly. And That's Justin Trudeau, and, who, who are on either end of the spectrum and are both equally uh, offensive to God. Yes, absolutely. Can we can we can we point out two other funny things about that article? What's that? Just the, that I found hilarious as you were reading it. Um, that anti-protesters showed up to protest the protest that the other protester didn't show up to. Yeah, that is. That's funny. kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, this makes me laugh. And then that the anti-hate group got violent. I know. Like so true. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it There's is funny. Just, the, and, th- and this, I think, I think it's funny. And, what, but, and that shows that they're more aligned with a political ideology than they are to, you know what I mean? So they are aligned to the left, which means that even though they say they're anti-hate, they will act violently because they can justify violence against what they've demonized. Yeah. And that is the, the, the opposite, right? The opposite ideological view. Yeah, I was, I was, gonna, I was basically also going to say just... It also shows that these ideologies don't change hearts. Yeah, absolutely. That people are still wretched yeah, sinners who, at the drop of a hat, can forget all of the things that they claim they believe and get, be, get, be given up to a debased mind yeah. in, the, in the moment. So, just okay, let's so, take a break. Yep, let's take a break. That's Rebel News. We're going to come back. And uh, actually, this episode is just about responding to some pushback. Uh, we, we love interacting with our listeners, which means that we also need to interact with our listeners when we get some pushback. So we're going to do that today. And we're going to talk about, um, two, two things in particular that I think, uh, hopefully will be of practical help to you. Yeah, Rebels got hate mail. <laughs> Rebels got some hate mail and we'll get to it right after this. Hey, it's Dave, the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here to tell you more about the new, improved, expanded Rebel Alliance Media. It's new, it's improved, and yes, it's expanded. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com. There's the original Rebel podcast, as always, but now there's the Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, plus their new Faith of the Fathers podcast with their children. Great listening for families. Catch the Rebels each Friday for their weekly video on culture and get a refreshing review of eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series. Another new addition is the blogs and articles page with some excellent reads by the Van Brimmers along with Ben and Andrew Emery. You can now help Rebel Alliance Media financially through the donate button at the top of the homepage. It's a brand new website, so make it your home base for interacting with the Rebels. Don't forget to share it with your friends. That's rebelalliancemedia.com. Okay, we're back, and uh, we have uh, some hate mail to go through. Uh, not not some hate mail. To be to be perfectly fair, this is from somebody who we both like and appreciate and respect, um, and uh, they put a lot of thought into this email that they sent out. So basically, um, the, this individual who's a friend of ours uh, saw a an episode that we shared from several weeks back uh, called "Would Jesus Get Into a Facebook Fight." And uh, now he did accuse us of the very clickbaity title. And I'll admit, most of our episodes are not so clickbaity, but I was really proud of that one. And I knew we'd get some click, <laughs> click. So uh, uh, I was proud of that one. Marketing works. Marketing works. Yep. There you go. So, um, and in, in that episode, if I can sum up that episode, we, we essentially talked about how uh, we don't define love properly. And the most loving thing that we can do is speak the truth boldly. 
and uh, and then we went through several stories of Jesus where uh, where several stories of Jesus where he very clearly was disruptive, um, very clearly where he kind of um, uh, worked against the grain uh, in terms of like the status quo and and kind of disrupted things. Um, and and then also we talked about like the woman at the well and some of these these places where some people say, see, Jesus is very timid and very, very, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we said, actually, these scenarios aren't what we think. We, we haven't thought through these scenarios correctly. This is what it would have looked like. And so we just talked about how bold and fierce Jesus really was and that he really did have a very dynamic, a very, uh, we'll just say loud and disruptive public ministry. He was meek and he was gentle and he was kind, um, but he was um, absolutely bringing truth to a culture that truth disrupted. So anyway, that was kind of the the point of it. So we said, we thought that Jesus would use social media um, to uh, also disrupt things, and so we, we kind of talked about that. Uh, if you if you didn't listen to the episode, it, it would be helpful to go back. We don't always say this, but maybe go back and listen to that episode so you know where we're coming from. But we got a, an email from a, a friend of ours who we both who we respect and uh, who we really appreciate, and he essentially came back and he said, "So I, I listened to that episode, and um, he said, you know, one line." Uh, that 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 really kind of stood out to him is um, he said, you know, we said, well, Jesus did this, so we can too. And he and he he goes on to say, that's crazy. I'm not Jesus. Um, neither are you. And he goes on to talk about how essentially the omniscience of Jesus, the fact that he knew people and he knew what they were thinking and he knew their background and he knew uh, everything about them gave him insight into how how hard he could push, how much he could say, how, how what sort of impact his abruptness or his shaming or whatever the case may be, what it would do for them. That he had, you know, God's sovereign decrees in his mind as, you know, the, the second member of the Trinity. And so he knew... Um, so when he was disrupting the ecology and the economy in the Decapolis after um, yeah. casting the demons into the herd of pigs, he knew every outcome of that. So, um, and he said, so because we don't know that and we don't know the collateral damage that our Facebook posts and arguments will have on the community that's looking, we shouldn't model Jesus in this way. So to be, to be completely honest, it was, an, it was um, an aspect that I hadn't thought of before. I don't know if you had thought about that at all. Uh, no, I, I, I hadn't thought of it because it was a very convicting email just to read. We, we do take like this kind of thing seriously, especially yeah. from people who, who we, we know, respect. listen, who yep. we respect, who we know are brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. Um, so I hadn't thought about that. And so I, I, same thing as you, as you said, I was very convicted by that, by the idea of, you know what, there, there is some merit to the idea that Jesus is sovereign and God is sovereign over all of the outcomes and he would know those outcomes right. and we don't know those outcomes. I, I would, I would point out first of all that, um, theologians fall on either side uh, of the argument here. So, so theologically, just to kind of put our, our thinking caps on here, we're dealing with, uh, the question of whether or not Jesus, um, tapped into or accessed any of his divine attributes while he was human. Uh, there'd be some theologians, like I think uh, certainly Sam Storms and I, I believe Wayne Grudem, who would say that Jesus was essentially operating fully as a human and all the miracles that we see him do uh, are are uh, attributed to his sinlessness, which gave him kind of um, unhindered 
uh, power and access to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can do the same kind of miracles that Jesus did through us. And indeed, we actually see in the book of Acts, you know, Peter is able to raise someone from the dead. And a lot of the miracles that Jesus did are repeated by the apostles in the New Testament. Um, and then you'd have guys on the other side, um, guys like John Frame, uh, guys like uh, uh, Bruce Ware, who would say that that there were times in which Jesus tapped into his divine attributes in order to operate and do some of the miracles that he did. I think it's John Frame who actually uses the example of when Jesus calmed the sea and the waves and, and just kind of used, like, we don't see the apostles doing anything like that. Um, that, was, that was very clearly a moment of his uh, tapping into his divine attributes. So, I mean, we can we can delve deeply into that. That's actually probably more um, like the two thieves. Uh, they, they like getting into the technical nitty gritty stuff. So if you guys are listening, uh, why don't you tackle that one? That's a, that's a really good, and I have an opinion on that. Now, I, I actually happen to think that Jesus did tap into his divine um, power several times in his earthly ministry. I think the, the calming of the wind and the waves is a, is a good example of that. So all that to say, it is very feasible that this pushback that we're getting is true that Jesus was kind of using his omniscience to know and to understand how hard he could push certain people, how curt he could be with Nicodemus, how much he could shame the woman at the well, et cetera, et cetera. But um, let's take that to its logical conclusion. If that's true, then in some ways we're being told that we can't imitate Christ at all in this and that the example of Christ in his earthly ministry is of no good to us because at the end of the day, everything that he did, he knew divinely what the outcomes would be. And I think that that's not necessarily true. So just so we're not um, arguing against a straw man, um, this individual kind of summed up a very, very long email an email he was gracious enough to say, uh, grab a cup of coffee that you're going to be here a while. Um, but he did sum it up at the end. So why don't you go to the summary and kind of walk through those points for us so that our listeners get an idea of, of kind of the summary of his concerns. Sure. Here's, so here's the pushback that we got. Um, the idea that Jesus is God and we're not. So therefore we have to be more careful than he would have, would have been because we don't know the consequences as you already laid out. Jesus did awesome stuff and he called us to do awesome and scary stuff. Um, but we can't do it exactly as Jesus did it. Um, I'm called to do what, what I can to love with mercy and discernment. Therefore it's reckless to suggest that the average Christian can start basically verbally getting into Facebook fights with their online friends for their Christian beliefs without thinking of the consequences on that person's life. Um, which I, you know what? I do agree with that. I think there are, is some wisdom in thinking about who you're speaking to. Um, so one of his pushbacks was that we need to build relationships, um, with the people we discuss our faith with and not try to argue people into the kingdom. And I think we, I think we've talked about that a few times before. Um, that we that what we see Jesus in the Bible, he he basically said he doesn't think he would use face, Facebook as a battleground, um, which is interesting. Um, do, 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 let me see if I got any of the other parts that we need to talk about here. Any important he he basically said that on on Facebook it's too impersonal that any important discussion should be one on one individual and we did kind of address that in the in the episode that we need to take these things know when to go personal, when to go, um, you know, generic. And then, uh, 
the last point point that he made was that we need to be able to walk away from friends and family members through be able to walk our friends and family members through the nuances of the Christian faith in a world that doesn't believe in the nuance. And it's hard to do that on an open forum, basically Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Those are kind of like highlighting, like Nate said, a a six page email. Um, So those are the kind of the big ideas of the pushback that we got. And we take that seriously. So we're going to kind of go through it a little bit. Yeah, so um, I think we should start off by just saying uh, we appreciate the email, and if we in any way advocated for a sort of recklessness on Facebook, um, kind of you know uh, pop into a discussion, drop a grenade, and and deke out, um, I, then we apologize. I, I don't think that's what we advocated, and I hope that's not what people got from our episode. Uh, we did say, and we we continue to advocate that there are times when the discussion needs to go out of the public eye. Um, though we did mention that a lot of those conversations are not to change the mind of the individual that we're talking to, but for the onlookers. And there's a lot like Jesus, when he was calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs, um, he, he, he wasn't necessarily doing that to change the hearts of the Pharisees, but for the onlookers who looked to the Pharisees to get their cues. And let's be honest, if I'm, if I'm debating abortion in a, uh, in a thread that somebody who advocates for abortion has posted then the people who are in their social circles likely are also pro-abortion and therefore they're watching they're the ones watching so they're who who you're kind of doing that for so but but we definitely don't want and 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 i do agree that we can't do this without discernment and maybe we should have talked more about discernment in that that episode um but i I think that's true of everything in the christian life we ought to be discerning in every area of our lives and therefore um and and i think we even pointed back in that episode um the facebook fights and we use that term you know for clickbait but the the facebook (laughs) conversations that we're advocating for people to get into need to be done with the fruit of the spirit. And that's why we didn't do that episode until after we had talked about how to do so and with gentleness and meekness and self-control and all that kind of stuff. Now, I just want to address, I guess, the central argument here. The central argument is that we aren't Jesus. And so we can't do things exactly like Jesus did. And I would just say that the entire point of God's sanctifying work in our lives is, in fact, to conform us to the image of Jesus, right? Ephesians 1 and Romans 8 um, talk to talk about this, that we're, we're called to imitate Christ because the whole point of God's sanctifying work in our lives is to conform us to the image of Jesus himself. And so um, I think that we, we need to understand that. I think, um, in, in fact, that you could say that he was incarnate to become a man so he could pay for the sins of mankind, absolutely. But I think Hebrews 4 and Philippians 2 also make it clear that he became a man so that he could identify with us and us with him in such a way that we can imitate him. I also think that um, 2 Corinthians 3, where it talks talks about us being transformed into the image of Jesus through the Spirit by beholding Christ. It says we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. Um, I, it, Paul, in that teaching about being conformed to the image of Christ, in other words, becoming more and more like Jesus, never stops to give a caveat about what we shouldn't imitate in Jesus' ministry. That caveat doesn't exist anywhere in Scripture. Wherever we're called to be conformed to his image, become like him, follow him, imitate him, there's never a caveat about what we shouldn't imitate. And so it, it becomes the job of the Christian to take the whole counsel of God's word, the whole ministry of Jesus, the gentleness, the meekness, the self-control, as well as the righteous anger, the call to repentance, the disruptive uh, truth bombs, if you will, 
and put it all together and figure out what it looks like for us to imitate Jesus. So I think that um, uh, part of the partnership, right? So justification is something that is done to us. And we also recognize that God's sanctifying work is done through the Spirit. It's also done to us. We are monergists. We believe in, in God's sovereignty and salvation. But we also recognize that we... Um, like when you pick up your Bible to read, you are partnering with the Lord in your sanctifying process. So um, part of the the partnership of, of getting together and, and uh, being sanctified um, alongside the Holy Spirit is the, the active choice to imitate Jesus. And, and that in, includes discerning, you know, what it was in his ministry that's, that's worth imitating. And, and I think we, we landed on the right side of things. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I was just gonna say the other part of that is that we don't we don't see an example of the apostles or any of the subsequent believers out in the Bible not doing this. We see Peter right away after the Holy Spirit descends on him, standing up and yelling at the crowd to repent. You killed Jesus. That's yep. not a soft, loving thing to say. Right. That's exactly and, right. And again we're not the apostle Peter, you know what I mean? But we have the same, the same seal that was in Peter is in us right. as believers. We, we can have that same boldness because we have the same promises. We have the same Messiah. We have the same savior. We see Paul m- many times through his entire ministry. It seemed like he was either, ever, either he was boldly speaking and either being beat up for it or praised on what, like there was never a situation where he was just like, oh, I'm not going to say that. There are times where the Holy Spirit didn't, led him to a different place. And I think, I think that can happen on Facebook too, where it's like, you know what, I'm not going to respond to that thread today because I'm not in the right headspace or what, or whatnot. But I, we don't see a category like you were saying, where we're like, well, that's the one spot I don't imitate, or that's the one spot I don't engage or defend our faith or anything like that. I think that I think scripture is very clear that we're supposed to engage with false teaching, that we're supposed to engage with defending our faith and standing up for truth. And let's be honest, Facebook is like we've said, where culture engages now. And so we're on there not to pick fights, but to defend the faith in, in the fights that are being, being picked. If, if Christians aren't on Facebook at all, or if there was no Christians then on Facebook, then all the onlookers would only be ever getting one side of it. Right. Yeah. And I think you, 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 you went exactly where I, I wanted to go with this. And that is that Jesus even if, and I don't buy into the argument that we can't imitate Jesus because he was omniscient, but even if we bought into that, then let's look to the apostles. And you, you already said that Peter in, in Acts 2 stands up and he basically says, you know, the blood of the, the Messiah is on your hands. Repent. What he's not doing is considering the collateral damage of the people who maybe were there who didn't agree with the crucifixion of Jesus, or maybe the the people there whose husbands are Roman soldiers, or maybe you know the the wives of the um, the Sanhedrin who put Jesus to death, who maybe their consciences were were pricked and maybe they they had sympathy towards Jesus. Right? There's no there's no um, consideration of the collateral damage there, and you can kind of go right through. I mean, Stephen basically says the same thing right before he gets stoned. And then when you go into the life of the apostle Paul, I mean, Paul, my goodness, his strategy was go to the synagogue. Why? 
because the synagogue is where people are used to discussing spiritual things. That's why we go to Facebook, because at the end of the day, rightly or wrongly, our culture exchanges big ideas on Facebook. That's that's what, where they do that. They're more likely to Absolutely. do that than they are in their own homes or, or at work or all these kinds of places. And so absolutely, I agree with our listener who's pushing back against this and saying we ought to have people in our homes. We ought to know when the conversation has to become personal and one-on-one. And, and I would just say, like, when you get somebody to the, the point where they start asking questions about what what makes our worldview different from theirs, take that offline. Don't, don't, don't you know, don't expect them to get converted through a Facebook message. You know, <laughs> take that offline, talk to them, all that kind of stuff. But I do think that this is where cultural ideas are changed. And so Paul's strategy was, let's go to a new area. Let's go to the synagogue. Let's preach Christ boldly until they kick me out of the synagogue. And whatever people follow me, once they kick me out, I'll take those people and disciple them and start a church with them. Yeah. And that was a strategy. And you even see later on, I think it's by his second missionary journey, um, he starts getting kicked out of the synagogue super quick. And I think it was in Corinth was the first time this happened. Maybe, yeah, it was, yeah, he was in Athens. He has the big thing at the Areopagus. And then in Corinth um, is the first time. So there's a guy named uh, Titius Justus. I think is his name, and he he owned the house next door to the synagogue. Yeah, so, I love this part. So, so, right, so, so Peter gets kicked out of the synagogue, and he sets up shop next door. And I can just picture, like, I can just picture Paul, like, as people are going into the synagogue, just being like, hey, don't go in there. Come on over here. I want to talk to you about Jesus, right? Like, and so, you know, I, I just have trouble when these are the men that were called to imitate. And, and Paul goes on in his letters to the Ephesians and he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so Paul seemed to think that he was able to imitate Christ and he calls us to imitate him. And this was his strategy. Go and disrupt things. Go to where cultural ideas are, um, are shared and stir things up. And, and here's, here's at the end of the day, and I could go on and on. You could go to uh, uh, Ephesians nineteen or Ephesians nineteen, <laughs> Acts nineteen. When in Ephesus, um, P- Paul sends the whole city in an uproar. Right? The, he starts talking about the the false gods uh, of Artemis, and the whole city uh, literally a riot breaks out. Um, so, I mean, to, to think that there was this gentle, you know, subtle one-on-one ministry that happened all through the New Testament is totally kind of disregard the book of Acts. Um, but, you know, I, I, won't, I won't beat a dead horse here. What I will say is that fundamentally, I think this is where the difference lies, is that, Chris, you and I are monergists. We believe in the, in the sovereignty of God and salvation. And so when we say that you can go into a Facebook conversation and you can speak the truth and yes, it's going to offend, but everything in scripture talks about how Romans nine, it talks about how God hardens the hearts of some and softens the hearts of others. And that's God's sovereign election. And, and, and in, um, I think it's in second Corinthians, I don't know if it's in chapter two or three or something like that, where Paul's talking about how we are the aroma of Christ and that that smells like death to those that are perishing and smells like life for those who are being saved. And I think that's the whole point is we can go into Facebook and we can preach the truth because we believe in the sovereignty of God. And so it's not that I don't care about the collateral damage. It's that I believe that God is so sovereign 
that if I am faithful to do what he's commanded me to do, to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ, to imitate Christ and be conformed to his image, then he will use my disruption and even my frailties. And I get, I get that this is dangerous. I do. I get that some people will take this and say, see, I can be reckless and say stupid stuff. And I would say, no, you still have to exhibit the fruits of the spirit and how you do this. Exactly. But at the end of the day, God is sovereign. He is saving his people. There's that beautiful, beautiful verse in Acts, I think it's either 17 verse 10 or 18 verse 10, where um, Paul is in Corinth and God calls him to stay longer in the city. And he says, stay, stay, keep preaching boldly because there are many in that city who are still my people. And it's such a beautiful verse because it's talking about God's sovereign election. And basically what he's saying is you're facing opposition People hate you. People have already driven you out of the synagogue, but keep doing what you're doing because I have more people in the city who are my people and I want to save them. And so God uses our disruptions on Facebook and all the collateral damage to work all things together for the good of those who love him. And those are his sovereignly elected people. Yeah, that's a mic drop for everybody who's, <laughs> yeah. who's listening. No, I, I completely agree. I think I think the crux of the argument does boil down to the doctrine of election. Right. And it's, it's interesting that we get accused of thinking we can argue people into the kingdom. That's the opposite of what we're doing. We right. believe that God is, like you said, completely sovereign in an election, that our job is just to continue to boldly proclaim. Amen. But boldly proclaim so that nobody is misled by what we're saying with love, with gentleness, with joy, self-control, with, self-control, with mercy, all of the, the attributes and characteristics that Jesus displayed in his ministry in us as we proclaim the truth. You can proclaim the truth in a, in a, in a nice, gentle way. It's very possible. Amen. We There's a, I don't know where this idea ever came from, but uh, if you ever, have you ever been in a debate with somebody or an argument, the person who loses their cool doesn't even matter if they're right. They've lost the argument. Agreed. And that's, and that's the idea with gentleness and stuff like that. If you're the person who is remaining calm, even on in text, articulating themselves, keeping it, keeping it cool as you debate the person, if you're doing that, people will listen to your message, even if they disagree with it. You know what I mean? And I think that's what we're trying to say where we're, we're boldly proclaiming on Facebook in real life in on Facebook. Yeah. We don't think we're arguing anyone to into the kingdom. What we're thinking is that we're doing what we've been told to do, which is proclaim the kingdom. And God saves people with exactly with very simple obedience. Exactly, and God will when when Facebook is no longer an avenue or a, a venue that we're supposed to be in. God will remove that from us. Yeah, and be able, <laughs> so. and, and so I just say that you know I I know we took some time to kind of. Um, uh, push back against the pushback, <laughs> disagree with the pushback, but, you know, hold us accountable, you know, for, for those of you who have been following the rebels for a long time. Um, I hope that we're teachable. I hope that we're humble. Uh, we aren't always cause we're certainly not perfect, but, but we, we want you to hold us accountable for how we're doing this. So if you ever see us cross a line, drop us a line. Yeah. Well, if you ever see us cross a line, drop us an email or drop us a message and let us know because we're trying to do this and we're trying to imitate Christ. Uh, so we appreciate pushback like this. In this case, it, there were some convicting things and it's going to, it's definitely going to be in the back of our minds as we continue to engage, though we might disagree with the central premise of the pushback. Yeah. And there, there was an actually, I'll just, I didn't think to mention this, but another close friend of ours gave me a phone call um, this week and he just said there was a tone in another episode where we uh, discussed penal substitutionary atonement and Bruxy Cavey, where he felt that we were 
actually particularly me and our guest on that show, just a little too aloof about the fact that this, this gentleman has it so wrong. Right. And that's the kind of thing we, we, I, we need to hear that because you know what me and Nate have a great time when we're doing the podcast where sometimes we might be having just fun because we love doing this, that we might forget that it might sound over recording arrogant or intolerant or, or, or almost boastful that we think we're right in the situation. And that's, that's not really what we, what we're trying to portray. We, so keep us accountable. If you hear an episode we do where you're think like, we're right, we, we are, but, <laughs> but I mean, like, no, no, but I, mean, I say that to say like, uh, when we're sharing these opinions, they're not held, um, loosely, softly yeah. or loosely. Um, but they, they're held thoughtfully, which means that we're willing to be reformed by the scriptures, but you know, we, we do think we're right, which is why we're saying it. So that might come across as arrogant. And I think in, in a culture that denies the reality of objective truth, that will sound arrogant. But to the Christians who are listening to us trying to get equipped to engage the culture, um, I, I, you know, call us out if you really think it's arrogance. But it, if, if all it is is, is, try, is being confident in what the Word of God says, um, try, to, try to notice the difference. And, and we will too. Yeah, exactly. Just, I'm just saying I'm giving the yeah. listeners license to email us if you think there's ever a time where we're not disp- displaying the fruits of the Spirit yeah. in, our, in our discussions. So. so, And this kind of goes into a second piece of objection. I know we spent a lot of time on that, so this, this one shouldn't take quite as long to go go through. But in some of our um, our videos that drop on Fridays on Facebook, um, where we use the uh, the Princess Bride, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You love and, that and movie. We, I love that movie. Um, and, uh, and so we use the whole Christian, I don't think that verse means what you think it means. And so we, we've taken some uh, commonly misunderstood passages of scripture and explain them in the right context. And while we were doing that, we were kind of um, uh, poking fun at how often sometimes Christians are uh, prone to take promises from scripture ripped out of their context that were never meant to apply specifically or individually to them and make them apply to them, right? Classic examples of this would be, you know, I've heard people take the, uh, um, when Jesus is talking to Zacchaeus and he says, today salvation has come to your home, Zacchaeus, and using that as, as in, you know, in their own devotion time, God uses that verse to like, you know, make a specific promise to them that they're family and the in in people in their household would be saved or or jeremiah 29 11 right that for i know the plans i have for you says the lord or all those kinds of things that's that we the take them common. out of their yeah that, that is the most common one and and so anyway we we talked about how uh we can't take promises that were meant for other people specifically and, and apply them specifically to you um the pushback we got was essentially okay if that's the case you know, number one, how do, how do I know the difference, and how do you apply verses like all promises find their yes and, and amen in Christ? So I, I, that's that's a fair criticism, and that's a actually that's a, a an amazing question. It's a really really good question, Christian. If you are reading your Bible, asking the question, how do I differentiate what is a promise to me and what was meant for you know the original audience? You are reading your Bible much better than the majority of Christians, and I, I don't. I don't say that arrogantly. I just say, you know, that is a good question to be asking because a, a lot of us never even get there. We just we 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 aren't reading discerningly. Yeah, you're either reading it and not not taking what you're saying, or you're reading it and just incorrectly interpreting it. If you're asking the question, you're doing the hard work of trying to renew your mind by the scriptures. Right. 
So I think, um, so 2 Corinthians one twenty is is what this listener is referencing, and, and they that says, all the promises of God find their yes in him, meaning Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And so what I think that means is that in union with Christ, who is the Messiah, Christians become heirs of all the promises in the Old Testament. I think that's what that verse is saying. Um, Philippians chapter three, verse three says, for we are the circumcision, which essentially means that, you know, uh, we, uh, Gentiles who are united to the Jewish Messiah, Jesus are the true circumcised people, the true Israel. So I think what that is saying is that all of the, the promises of scripture find their fulfillment in Christ. Now, what we have to remember though, is that that's not an individual thing. We have to be careful not to conflate what God means collectively for his people and what God means specifically for an individual person. So salvation is individual. God promises to regenerate hearts, to put his spirit within us, to cause us to obey his commands. Salvation, justification happens one person at a time. But many of the promises of God are for his people in general. And so let's just take one promise, for example, um, Romans 8, 28, which I happen to think is one of the greatest promises in, in all of scripture, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So somebody might take that promise and say, that means God wants my good. And, and you could say, well, yes, but what that means is in a collective sense, God is working all things together for the good of his people. That might, not mean, that, that might mean that you get cancer and die. But ultimately what he's saying is that you getting cancer and dying will bring glory to him and goodness to the people of God in general, which just means that your death might be the catalyst for someone else's salvation. Because ultimately, your salvation is your ultimate good, not your life here on earth. And so you die and get cancer, you go on to glory, you're resurrected to the new heavens and the new earth, and who knows what other people are brought into the new heavens and the new earth or who are granted grace and repentance by God because of the testimony of your dying through cancer. So we have to be careful in, in that sort of thing. So I just kind of want to talk about some common mistakes. Okay. So common mistakes is number one. Sometimes we confuse a promise with a principle. Okay. Mm. So, so sometimes we confuse a promise with a principle. So for example, uh, Proverbs 22, six, uh, every parent knows this verse, right? Raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, so many parents claim that as a promise. We have to remember that the, the book of Proverbs is giving us principles, not promises. So that's not a promise. You cannot say, hey, I raised a child in the way that he should go. He will not depart. God will save him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's not a promise for you. That is a principle. Um, one of the other yeah, things we do sometimes, another common mistake, is we just ignore the context right? We ignore the context. Sometimes um, it's the application, as I've already said, is collective for God's people, or sometimes it's conditional. And that, and so sometimes we overlook in ignoring the context, the if statement, right? Sometimes a promise is, is also given with an if statement. Um, so uh, for example, uh, James uh, 1, uh, James 1 verse 4 is, uh, is one of those such examples. James 1.4 talks about if you let steadfastness have its full effect, 
you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the promise isn't that you will be perfect, but it, the, the perfection, that is the completion of your sanctification, is dependent upon something. So uh, we can't overlook the if statements in particular promises. Also, um, sometimes we choose to uh, believe a promise sort of selectively. So for example, in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I've heard many people quote this and say, I'm just, I'm just waiting on God. I'm just being still and knowing that he's God. The Lord will fight for me. And what you neglect is that two chapters later in the same book, God tells Israel, commands them not to stand still, but to fight their enemies. So we can't take something selectively like that and just say, see, God promises if I stand still, he's going to fight for me. Well, that's, that's not the promise in that context because two chapters later, God says, okay, now it's time to fight. So sometimes we do that. Um, and then the other, the, some of the other things that we do is uh, we, we limit a, a promise to our own understanding. And Romans 8.28 is a good example of that, right? That to us, our good means a long, healthy, wealthy life. But that's not what God's ultimate good is. God's ultimate good is his glory and the salvation of every one of his elect. And so um, we, we can't limit the extent of a promise to our own understanding. So those are, those are, I guess, some of the, the, the pitfalls or some of the uh, mistakes that we make. Um, so I think um, what we can do to kind of avoid those pitfalls is number one, like don't read the Bible selectively. Don't do read your it. homework. It's like, don't, like, and don't know, read just one verse. That's right. right? Like, know the context. So, so it means that, yes, you know what? You have to go back into Jeremiah 29, 11, and you have to recognize that that you, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, is a promise through Jeremiah to the collective people of God. So that is true. Absolutely. You can claim that verse all you want to, Pooty, all day, every day, claim <laughs> that verse. But it's not that God wants Can't you, you to prosper. God wants his people to prosper. And because we're not limiting the word prosper to our own understanding, that doesn't mean he wants you healthy. It doesn't mean he wants you wealthy. It means that he wants you to glorify him and bring about his purposes on the earth. And sometimes that means dying. Yeah. Sometimes well, that means suffering. But I think every time this, these kind of things come up all the time, Bonhoeffer pops to my mind. The Absolutely. Idea of, a man of, if ever there was men who should have prospered for their, for their faith, if that was a thing, Bonhoeffer would have been one of them. Yeah. Instead, what happened to him is he got on a boat, came to Canada or came to the States, turned around, went back to Nazi Germany and got put to death. Well, that's bad to Bonhoeffer. That ends up very poor for him. That scenario never works out for him. Yeah. He spends six months on a boat to turn around and go back six months on a boat and then gets put to death for it. But the good to the, to the church from Bonhoeffer is out is amazing. It helped rebuild the church in Germany. It's helped his books have helped millions of people. His ministry has helped millions of people because the suffering, the bad things happening to Bonhoeffer helped the collective good. And right. I just think that's a really, once we start grasping that idea that like you said, it's the collective good for God's glory, for the good of his church to continue to build the body, to be, to get all of the elect to the point they want. Once we start grasping that, then we can start seeing those bad things that happen and we can start reading those promises in the right way. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, and I would just say that the, the most helpful thing, so I, I just said, you read, read it in context, kind of do your own homework. And the last thing I would just say is 
make God the center of the of the story, right? So the universe does not revolve around you. The universe is the theater of God's glory, meaning that every promise is meant to glorify God, not you. And so if you can find the way that a particular promise glorifies God, then it's much easier for you to find your place in that promise. Are you are you a part of that promise because you're in Christ? Are you a part of that promise because collectively you are part of God's people? Um, like what what does it look like? And I think you will be able to orient yourself around the promise of God best if you understand that the universe, the whole story, history, it's all about God's glory, not about you. Amen. So if you can if you can uh, approach the promises with those things, um, I think you'll be better suited to figure out what's a promise for you and what's a promise. Uh, and remember, I, I say this all the time, but the Bible was written for you, but it was not written to you, which means you are not the, the primary audience, but it was written for you for your instruction. And it just means it, the Bible's clear, but you, you just have to do the work of actually reading it. It's so easy to go on a website and say, Google the promises of God and, and come up with all these things. And devotional books are bad for this. They just give you one little promise and then somebody's opinion about what that promise and how it applies to your life. Go and read the context. Don't get stuck into these one verse devotional books and uh, and and remain biblically illiterate. Yeah, our culture is bad for the microwave nature totally. of everything, right? Yeah. We're used to everything, totally. which translates into, because we train ourselves that way, right? So it translates into how we do our devotions. Be like, I just want to read about God's love today and Google yeah. all the verses. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, there's us responding to pushback. Um, and uh, we appreciate the interaction, whether it's uh, it's encouragement, challenge, whatever it is. Uh, we are so thankful that we have as active uh, a listener base as we do. Thanks so much. Find us on Facebook, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. The episode's over. So go share it, like it, rate us, review us, all that stuff. Thanks for joining the rebellion. We'll see you next time. Bye.